start our message with a prayer. Uh, Father, I just thank you for this beautiful day. I thank you for the sunshine. I thank you for all the residents that were able to attend today. Lord, we thank you for your word, that we can look at it and study it today, and we can take and meditate upon it and hide it in our mind and our heart and apply it during the week. And God, your word is perfect. And, and Jesus, I'd also ask that you guard my tongue, that when I speak, it would be words of affirmation from your word that will bring glory to your kingdom. And let your Holy Spirit reign with us today, and that you would continue to bless every one of us as we go out during the week. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen. Okay, I will try to talk louder, Allison. Thank you for that, um, asking me that, because I forget sometimes. So today, um, the topic is delighting in God. And several weeks ago, I was talking to my son, Christian, on Skype. Christian, as you may recall, is the missionary who's in China. So we talk frequently. And he asked me a couple of weeks ago, Dad, would you pray? And the specific request is that I will learn how to delight more in God. And so that he would delight more in God, delighting in God. And quite honestly, I had never really looked at delighting in God as a topic. So if you were to look at the word delight or delighting, how many times it appears in the Bible, it's actually quite often. And it's a very good study to take a look at. So today, we're going to kind of look at only a few verses from chapter 37 of Psalms, verses 1 to 6. So it's a, it's a short passage. Ma'am, let me give you a handout. And these six verses, they kind of naturally fall into three different groupings. The first and second verse, the third and the fourth verse being a grouping, and then the fifth and the sixth group being another, verses being another grouping. So we, that's kind of the way we're going to look at them as they fall out today. But let me read the first verses of first six verses of Psalm chapter 37. This is a Psalm of David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. And those are, uh, those are beautiful verses. Now, since we're looking at the term delighting in God, probably the question is, well, what, what does it mean to delight in something? What does it mean when we're delighting in God? And um, so a definition of delight is something that makes you very happy, something that gives you great pleasure, or great satisfaction. So it's not just 
uh, sort of run-of-the-mill kind of thing. This is something that's at a high level. When you delight in something, you really enjoy the presence of whatever's giving you the delight. So in the Old Testament, there are two common Hebrew terms for delight. The first is hepes, and it means to bend towards or be inclined towards. And the scriptures actually reference us in a, when we have a good walk with the Lord, we incline toward his word. We incline toward the presence of God. And then the second word that's used is rasa, and that means to delight or take pleasure in. So we're going to kind of look at um, some verses that deal with delighting in God today. But the important thing is, you really can't delight in God if you don't have a relationship with God. So it all goes back to the foundation of our faith. And that's why we see at the top there, Hebrews 11.6 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You know, faith is from God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. So every one of us that is a believer in this room, we have a personal relationship through our faith. And that's very important. And we really can't have a delight in God without a faith in God. Because there's really no relationship there without faith. But once we have faith, we can start to delight in God. And, and this verse goes on to say that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. For, for example, you might say, well, what does diligent mean? Let's say one of you ladies in this room, you had a ring, a diamond ring, and it was a one-carat diamond ring, and it was worth thousands of dollars. And then you lost that ring, and you, you didn't really know where the ring was. And you started going over in your mind, where was I when I had this ring on my finger? And you would go through, and then you would go look in your drawer, you would look in your dress, you would look in your purse, you'd look in the car. And that process that, of looking until you finally found that diamond, that lost diamond, that would, means you're diligently looking for it. So diligent means you're putting an emphasis, an effort into doing it. And God is saying... He will reward you when you look for Him that way, when you diligently seek God. And God is much more valuable than a diamond. And yet we would expend a lot of energy, yes, to look for something that we lost that was of value. We should do the same thing with our relationship with God. Because that's the most important thing in our life. And God will reward us when we do that. Now, the three breakdowns of, the, of these six verses, the first two verses, I've kind of entitled here the wages of sin, and it kind of starts out negative because it's looking at the consequences of the unbeliever and also the consequences of sin in our life. You know, God is very realistic. He tells us when we sin, there's a price for it. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. 
So then the, the second point we'll look at today is the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. So the third and the fourth verses of the first six verses of Psalm 37, they kind of start moving into that transition period of looking at the sinner's life and then looking at the, the saved life and how God works in the life of this saved person. And then the last two verses, they deal with the joy of the Lord. And I titled the, this section, These Things Are Written That Your Joy May Be Full. So let's look at the first verse, the Psalm of David. It says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither thou be envious against the workers of iniquity. Fret means to worry. Fret means to have it in your mind and, and kind of a negative thing. But God says, there's evildoers out there, but don't worry about it. Don't let it consume you. Don't fret over that. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. When we look at Proverbs 6, chapter 6, 16 through 19, it says, These six things does the Lord hate, yea, the seventh is an abomination. And he lists here the six things that he hates and the seventh thing that's an abomination to him. He says, a proud look, he hates. A lying tongue, God hates. Hands that shed innocent blood, God hates that. And there's a lot of innocent blood being shed, not only in America, but around the world. When we look at the Middle East, for example. He, God hates a heart that devises wicked imaginations. You know, we can spend our time thinking about and then acting upon our thoughts for God's glory. Or we can have in our mind evil thoughts and act upon them for our own detriment. Because that would become a sin. God hates a false prophet, a false witness. And the things that is an abomination, the seventh thing here, is he that sows discord among the brethren. If you're a saved person, you're one of the brethren. You're one of the family of Christ. You're a child of God. And God says it's an abomination for that person to sow discord. And discord could be in the form of a false preacher in a church. And there's many of those. The Bible calls them wolf in sheep's clothing. But it also could be us in a personal relationship with people. You know, if we're gossiping or if we're, we have a bad attitude. I can set the tone in my family when they come into the breakfast room to have breakfast. If I have a good attitude or a bad attitude. And I can sow discord in my family very quickly. So we have to be careful about how we approach people and, and what we say to people, very importantly, and our attitudes. Okay, Psalm 41, 141.4 says, Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. This verse is teaching us that I shouldn't have my heart inclined, going toward, having, having a desire to be with things that are evil. And then God goes on to say to practice wicked works. People that have lifestyles of sin, they become very proficient at it because they practice their sin. You know, basketball players, they practice rebounds and free throws and shooting three-pointers. 
they become very good at it because they practice it. Well, people can become very good with sin if they practice it. And God says, do not eat of their dainties. You know, in Romans chapter 1, it says at the end of that chapter that we should not have pleasure in them that do them. In other words, we shouldn't have pleasure in the sins of others that are doing those sins. And and a, a, a short example would be, let's say we sit down and we're watching television. And it's a a comedy, a sitcom. And during that comedy, they're making jokes to make us laugh about a sin, say homosexuality. If we're laughing up at that and making light of that, that God calls bad, we're having pleasure in them that do them. We're having pleasure in their sin. And God says, don't eat of those dainties. Don't partake of those, in God's eyes, evil pleasures. Just don't go there. Galatians 5, 19 to 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, it's a long list, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. And this is the important part of this verse. I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's a very long list. And probably all of us in this room have done many of those things in the past, during the course of our life. But God will forgive us. It's those people who do not repent of those sins. They are the ones that fall under God's wrath and judgment. And God is so merciful. He will forgive us. But we have to repent and ask forgiveness. That's the key. And then 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. So we see that all of these patterns for sin, all sin falls under lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. All sins are one of those, or more categories, those three categories. God said that's of the world, and this world will pass away. In Revelation, it says God will make a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth are passed away. We don't want to be part of the world that's going to pass away. God says But he that does the will of God abides forever. We want to be part of the forever glory of God. We want to be part of that elect that go to heaven to enjoy God forever. So we just looked at a lot of the consequences of sin in that first verse. Let's look go to Psalm 37, 2. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Many of us in this room have had a garden, and I've enjoyed gardens 
and I, I especially like growing tomatoes. And around the first week in July, when that tomato plant is full of green vines and there's tomatoes on there, usually they start to ripen so you can start to eat the red tomatoes. But at about this time of the year, and certainly in a few weeks from now, that robust, green, vibrant tomato plant is going to look pretty sickly. and It's going to be turning brown, and it's no longer going to produce tomatoes. And that's an example. God says here, they shall soon be cut down and wither as the green herb. They shall soon be cut down. You know, we only get three score and ten. That's about 70 years. The score is 20, so three score is 60 plus 10. On average, we're all going to live to be about 70 years old. That's really a short time. When you think about eternity, 70 years is, is like a blip, blip on the screen. And God says they shall soon be cut down. But look at Psalm, 30, Psalm 1, 1 through 3. It says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, the rivers of water, that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Do you notice the progression of the sinners? It says they walk, and then they stand, and then they sit. You know, and, and when we're young, we make our friends. And a lot of those friends, we stay with them for our entire life. People come and go in our life, but a lot of our childhood friends, they remain our friends all the way through our life. And God is saying here, blesses the man that walks not in the counsel of ungodly friends. Because those friends, the more we fellowship with them, now it says, nor stands in the way of sinners. Those people will draw us and have us standing there and talking and fellowshipping. Now we're not just walking past them. Now we're standing and fellowshipping. And then look what it says in the third part. Nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Now we're not only just standing there. Now we're getting together with them. We're going to parties. We're sitting down for dinner. We're fellowshipping with them. And God calls these sinners, these lost people, scornful. You know, the lost are quick to scorn the Christian. They're quick to make fun of somebody who tries to be righteous. Somebody who reads the Bible in a high school is a target for people making fun of them. If you try to do right in the eyes of the wicked people, they will be scornful. And God says here, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't you become one of those scornful people. God does not love that. In fact, he, he hates that. But the flip side is, the Christian that follows righteousness will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Have you ever gone, for example, to the James River and walked along the shore? I used to live up in Northern Virginia, and I would walk with my kids along the Potomac River. And they would have these huge trees. I mean, the trunks, you couldn't put your arms around them. 
and they would kind of lean down over the river. And you could literally walk out uh, 20, 30 feet on these huge trees, and you're suspended over the water. And they're tipped over. You think, well, why wouldn't they just fall into the water and float away? It's because their roots were so deep. And here this verse says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The water is God's word, the water of life. And once we get into the water of life, we can have deep roots. And we will not fall. We will be like that tree that can carry a lot of weight. I could be out on a tree with all my kids, and it, it would, we couldn't even shake that tree. It would be so thick and strong and big. And it says, His shall bring forth his fruit in his season. You know, we all have a season in life for different things. We have a season as a child to go to school and obey our parents and learn discipline. We have a season as a student to go to college and maybe grad school. We have a season to work in our career. And then we have a season to retire and to fellowship and to mentor our children and especially our grandchildren. You in this room, you're in a season of life where you are responsible to pray. To ask God's hedge of protection around your loved ones. And that's a nice season to be in. And prayer is the most powerful weapon we have against darkness, against evil. Proverbs 11.23 says, The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. You know... The desire of the righteous is only good. The more you get into God's word, the more you delight in God's word, the more you desire good. But for those people that are doing wicked things, they're always worried about getting caught. They always have that hanging over their head. And that's why God's word says here, the expectation of the wicked is wrath. And that's not only speaking to them individually, in what's in their mind, God is saying at the end of the, their life, when they pass through the portal door of death into eternity, their expectation, what they can expect, is wrath. The wrath of the judgment for their sins. But Jesus came to save us from our sins. But they rejected the word of God, the free gift. And then the end for them is the great white throne and the wrath of God. We don't have that if we're saved. We don't have that sort of like the uh, guillotine hanging over our neck. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, that's homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, none of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then one final list in Revelation 21.8, I think we went over this a few weeks ago, these are the people who go into the lake of fire. The fearful, the ones that are afraid to say they're a Christian in front of people. The unbelieving, the ones that don't have a saving faith. The abominable. We just looked at one example of what is abominable to God. Somebody who seeds, sows seeds of discord in the brethren. That's abomination to God. 
murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars. They shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. And this is the second death. The first death is your physical death. And for the lost, the second death is when their soul is put back into their dead body and it is cast for eternity into the lake of fire. Okay, that, all of that was kind of heavy. <laughs> we went over a long list of sins several times. But now let's look at the, the, the benefits of having a joyful relationship with God and how we can get into that and how we can delight more in the Lord. And this, sec this section is called, The Secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. When my children were little, and I can remember especially with Josiah and Justice, I taught them several verses. And one of them was, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy, which is the Bible, is understanding. Understanding is a, a, a purposeful, practical application of, of God's word in our life. But it starts with the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of our wisdom. It's like a little child who just first learns how to walk and they're grabbing along the chairs and the couch. Or they're learning how to eat with a spoon. Or they're learning how to tie their shoe for the first time. They have a progression, yes? You can't expect a two-year-old to do math problems or to write in cursive. It's not going to happen. But our relationship with God, after we're saved through faith, is through acknowledging his presence as an awesome God and having a fear. That's how we learn to walk and respect God. And it's not a fear like he's going to hurt us. It's a reverential fear. I remember when I was a child, I was afraid, not physically, but of like older people. Because... It was like a reverence, like my grandfather. I was in awe of my grandfather. I mean, he, he, to me, he was like so strong. His hands were so big. I mean, he was a plumber and an electrician. He could like twist bolts with his fingers. It's like, Grandpa, how can you do this? So I was just in awe as a little child of his strength and his wisdom and just his, his fun. I wanted to be around him, okay? That's the way it should be. With us in our relationship with God. We should want to be around him. And it's, it starts with a reverential fear of God. So I, I have a, a definition here of what it means to delight in God. And this is from John Gill. John Gill was a theologian. And he actually died in 1771. So that's like over 250, well about 250 years ago. Because our nation was formed five years later in 1776. So John Gill wrote a long time ago, like he lived 250, 300 years ago. But he had some very good um, writings that, that we have available to share today. So here's a quote here. He says, delight thyself also in the Lord, in the persons in God, God the Father, the Son, and Spirit. Delight in the perfections of God. Delight in his power. Delight in God's goodness. Delight in God's faithfulness, in his wisdom, in his love. Delight in God's grace and his mercy. Delight in God's works of creation, in his providence. Delight in God's redemption, in his word, the Bible, in his gospel, 
the truths and the ordinances. Delight in his house, the church, and his family. Delight in the worship of God. Delight in his people. Be excellent in the earth. And he shall give you the desires of your heart, such as are according to the will of God and for the good of God's people. So that's a quote from John Gill. And there's a lot of wisdom there. And as you read that, these are ideas that we can take and put into our daily life to even delight in God more. You know, delight in his word, delight in the truth, delight in the church family. Those are all things we in our redemption, in our salvation, what, that we don't have to go to hell. Those are wonderful things to delight in. God's grace, his mercy, his long-suffering, his omniscience. You know, God knows what's going to happen to us tomorrow and next week and next month. We can take our burdens to him. So let's look at Psalm 37.3. And this is really the key verse for me when in my study. This was like the most, this was the focal verse. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. So shall thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. And that goes along with the next verse, delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. What are your heart's desires today? Are they, for, are, are they for God's glory in his kingdom? If they are, God said he'll give you that desire. If your desire is to have a fancy car, you may or may not get that. But if your desire is to win a soul this week, God will give you that. Okay? Let's look at a couple of verses. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So here again, it's the beginning of wisdom. This verse defines it as the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know the person that rejects the gospel? God says they're a fool. And we know many fools. And you know that fool could be the president of the bank. That fool could be somebody who's very high in politics. Or in academia. Or they could be a very rich businessman. But you know what? None of those things, in God's eyes, is wisdom. Because if that rich person, or that politician, or that smart person in academia, if they reject God's salvation, God says they're a fool. Proverbs 14, 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, to depart from the snares of death. So, Another benefit of fearing God is that we have a fountain of life. You know, every day we need food and drink, water, to sustain our bodies. God says you need his water of life to sustain your soul. And that's very important. We need to drink of the word of God frequently. Certainly every day, but many times during the day. And the more you take of God's word into your life, the more you have the capacity to delight in God. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. You can't delight in God without having a close relationship with Him. And you can't have a close relationship without spending time with God in His word or in prayer. They all kind of go together. 
Matthew 6, 31 to 33 says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you have need of, these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, when my children, I love my children, I never said, okay, this week we're not going to eat any food. Or you can't have water tonight, and you can't have anything to drink for the next two days. Or, you know those clothes you've been wearing for the last two years? You can wear them for another two years. No. I love my family. So I want to take care of my family. How much more does our Heavenly Father love us? And He knows our needs. There's nothing that we can have that God doesn't know. He doesn't know about. He knows our thoughts. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 6-7. It says... But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. You know, God says in that verse above 37.3, Verily thou shalt be fed. But you know, so many of us, and, and certainly at times in my life, when I was, especially when I was a young man, I thought having a Porsche was really cool. Okay, I never, I never had enough money to buy one, but I wanted one. Now, really, at my age, isn't that kind of foolish looking back? And, and I wanted a lot of things. I'm thankful God didn't give me the lusts of my, of my eyes because they would have been detrimental to me. He knew best what I should have and when I would get it. And this verse is saying, godliness with contentment is great gain. And you know, the older I get, the less I want that stuff. I remember when, I was, when, when my wife and I were going to buy a house, we were walking through the house, and my wife said, oh, there's only two bathrooms. And the real estate agent said, well, how many do you want to clean? You know, it was a good answer. The more stuff we get, the more we have to manage. But this verse says, godliness with contentment is great gain. We don't need everything to be happy. Godliness is what should be the source of our contentment. And when we have contentment in God, when we're delighting in God, that is great gain. And it's not on the earth. That's great gain in heaven. Those are rewards that we will see one day when we go through the portal of death into eternity, into heaven. And we're just going to go, wow, God, you are so good. You are so good, God. Psalm um, 37, 4, we read, we read that. Delight yourself and God will give you the desires of your heart. Look at Psalm 84, 11. It says, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold for them that walk uprightly. So the verse, our, our key verse here says, God will give us the desires of our heart. And this verse says, no good thing will God withhold. Do you see how they go together? If you delight in God, and you can't delight in God if you're walking in sin. You can't delight in God if you're far from God. You can't delight in God unless you're close to God. When you're close to God, 
His desires become your desires, and He will give you the desires of your heart. He will not withhold any good thing. Now, here's this, this is, these two verses here in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we really need to get our hands around these. He's, God says, be careful for nothing. Careful means worry, to fret. God says, don't fret over anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, everything that we do, by prayer and supplication. Supplication means getting under God's will. With thanksgiving. That's the key. Are we thankful in our daily life? You know, sometimes we get aches, aches and pains. But be thankful. I don't know if you're aware, but um, on July 13th, I had a hip replacement. I am so thankful. Because I don't hurt anymore. But you know... The thought process, you kind of like, oh, wow, I've never had to go to the hospital before. I've never had anything like this before. And you can kind of fret over it, yes? No, God says, don't fret, just be thankful. If some of you on your calendar have some big things with doctors, don't worry about it. God knows what's on the calendar. And he said, with prayer and supplication, be thankful. And God will not withhold any good thing from his people. Isn't that beautiful? It's a promise. And he says, let your request be made known unto God. So here's a key how you pray. God says, pray with supplication in everything, with thanksgiving, and then he says, your request will be made known. God will know about it. And that's when he starts to act upon it. And he says, the peace of God which passes all understanding. You know, sometimes we don't understand how God works. In fact, most of the time we don't know how God works because His ways are above our ways. But God says here, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, and look at this, will keep your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Fret not yourself of tomorrow. You know not what a day will bring forth. Fret not yourself of evildoers. Fret not about what's on your calendar. God is in control. Okay? Now the last two verses, the topic here is, these things are written that your joy may be full. Do you have full joy today? I know things of the world, they weigh us down. But God doesn't want that. He wants us to be full of joy. And joy is different than happiness. You know, I can go to a birthday party for a little child and I'll be happy and all the kids are happy and we're eating cake and drinking sodas and getting sugar highs, and we're all happy, right? But after the party, the happiness goes away, and then you got to clean up the mess. Joy stays with you. Joy comes deep down in the soul. And true joy is from God. True joy is when we're fellowshipping with, with Jesus. True joy is when His Holy Spirit envelops us with His goodness. That's true joy. Now, I have here a... a, a, a a quote from Charles Spurgeon. And he said, talking about believers and delight, he said, believers who know Christ understand that delight and faith are so blessedly married that the gates of hell cannot prevail to divorce them. Did you catch that? Delight and faith, are the, they're like married. You know, when a man and a woman get married, the Bible says they become one flesh. They become one flesh. Here, delight 
with God is through your faith, and it becomes like almost one flesh. It's on, the picture of marriage is a picture of our delighting in God because delight and faith are married. And look at it. The gates of hell cannot divorce them. The gates of hell cannot separate our delight through our faith. The devil will never win. It might seem like he's winning a battle, but the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel of Christ. God has already won the war when he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. He conquered sin and hell. He took the gates of death and hell. God holds the keys to death and hell. Fear not him who can kill the body. Fear him who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell. And that only Jesus can do that. He has the keys to death and hell. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. This is actually a verse that I used to teach my kids. God says, Commit your works. Okay? If you decide to do something... You commit to do that. A lot of businesses have goals. They want to make a million dollars in the next month. They commit to do that. And in our personal life, we can commit to do things. Let's say we want to read a, a chapter a day of the Bible. We can commit to do that. And then God says, your thoughts, because you think about it, oh, i got to read that chapter today, your thoughts shall be established. Now, I was giving good examples People can do that and have evil, too. A person can commit in his mind to rob a bank or to beat up somebody or to be in a gang. And the more he thinks about it, the more he comes up with a game plan, and then finally it's realized and he does it. His thoughts are established. So we have to be careful. This is a teaching proverb but we should grab it and utilize it and apply it in our life in the positive way that God wants us to, not in a bad way. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Do you see all the blessings there? You know, a lot of times we're so tired, it's hard to walk. And yet God will lift up us like wings of an eagle. Wouldn't it be awesome, like, if there was a, an eagle that was like 50 feet wide, and he had a little seat on the back, and he would land in front of you, jump on the seat, strap in the seat belt, and he would just glide around up over Lynchburg for like, like an hour. Wouldn't that be beautiful? And we would just be taking it all in. You know, it's going to be so much better in heaven. It's going, to be, it's going to be so much more awesome in heaven. And then the last verse for today, uh, Psalm 37, 6, we'll look at that. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. A lot of times God will show your righteousness here on earth while you're living your life. But certainly he's going to show your righteousness in heaven. Now, my righteousness is not in my strength. My righteousness is from God. All of our righteousness is from God. And that's why 
when our righteousness, which is from Jesus, is shown, it will shine like the sun. Because God is light and in him is no darkness. But even on earth, you know, the Bible says the truth will set you free. And there are many things in life where it seems like people just don't understand. We could do good and they perceive it as evil. And it's almost frustrating, yes? And your intention was never to do bad, but to do good. On the judgment day, all of that will be made clear. And it says, He will bring forth your righteousness as light, and the judgment as the noonday. The reason he says noonday, at noon is when the sun is the hottest. It's when it's at its brightest. And it's going to melt away all the evil, and that spotlight of the sun at noon with its full brightness will shine on your glory because it's from God. God will glorify himself through using us because we're helping bring joy into the kingdom. Let's look at a couple of verses here that tie into that last verse. Micah 7.9 says, this is talking about us before we're saved and then after we're saved. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause. That's Jesus pleading my cause at the throne. Jesus is the advocate for us as a sinner until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me, not on me, for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. You know, nobody can behold the righteousness of God because he's a consuming fire. The only way you can behold the righteousness of God is to have a glorified body. The only way you can have a glorified body is to be saved. If you're not saved, you will never have a glorified body. But if you are saved, as soon as you pass, you will have a glorified body. And then God's righteousness will shine through you because he is holy. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord. He shall sustain you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Moved means losing your salvation. Okay? Cast your burdens upon the Lord. Do you have a burden today? God wants you to cast it on him. And he says, he will sustain you. That means he will lift you up. He will carry you. He will give you energy, just like the eagle. He will give you energy. And he says, also in James, have you ever thought about those verses? It says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Remember those verses? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he shall exalt you in due time. And the next verse says, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. If you're a child of God, he cares for you. He knows your needs and he cares for you. God says, give me your burden. I will carry it. You know, the load is light for God. Give him your burdens. And this verse says, cast your burden upon the Lord. He will sustain you. And God doesn't say something that's not true. So we can take this as a promise. If I give my burden to God, he will sustain me, especially if I'm snuggling up next to him. Did, did your children, when they were little, they will, Daddy, Daddy, and then they jump in the bed and they get out of the blanket and they snuggle against you, right? Because maybe it's cold and your blanket's warm, whatever. God wants us to snuggle next to him because he loves us. He's our Abba Father. He will take care of us. And then the finally, 1 Peter 4, 19 Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, that suffer according to the will of God, 
commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing, as unto God a faithful creator. This verse is saying that we may be suffering. And it says that suffer according to the will of God. Some people, God intends to be martyrs. There are Christians being murdered today in the Middle East by ISIS. They are suffering. Now, they will receive the martyr's crown, and we have no idea what kind of blessings God will have for them. And here in our area, we probably will never be executed for being a Christian. But there are other ways we can suffer for God. We can carry a burden of a lost person in prayer and suffer in prayer for that person for God's righteousness. That's an example of how we might suffer for God. And he says, according to the will of God. Is it in God's will for our loved ones to be saved? Yes, of course. We need to suffer under that sin burden for them. That they may go into the kingdom. And it says, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing. Even when we suffer for God, it's well-doing. It's for God, it's in his will, it's good. It might not seem good to us as we're walking through that valley, but when we come out of the valley, we climb the mountain and we see the glories of God again. And usually, when I've gone through a valley and I look back, I go, God, you knew what I was doing, you knew the burden, and now you even blessed me more than I ever thought possible. And that's a good God that we serve. And it says, the last two words, God is a faithful creator. God made you. You didn't evolve from some slime in a pit like evolution teaches. God made you. In the beginning, God created. That's how we started. The Bible says all things that pertain unto life and godliness are from God. We can take that to the bank. He is a faithful creator. And the things that he that began a good work in you, he's going to complete it. He will finish it. He will bring you to heaven. And there are many things that we don't understand that God puts in our life. But we need to be faithful and say, thank you, Lord. I know it's all, all things work together for good. We know that. So through our faith, we can say thank you in prayer. And I'm not going to fret about this. I'm not going to worry about this. But I'm going to be thankful. And I know that, God, you love me. And I'm going to delight in you, Jesus. Okay, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that we can just read it and you have so many nuggets of gold, so many diamond jewels that we can just unearth when we read the, read the word. And I, I thank, that, thank you that Christian put this idea just to look at delighting in you. I, I, Lord, I've never done that. And it's, it's so wonderful to read your words, Lord, and, and to share this message with, with these people here today. Father, I ask that you would bless us as we go out this week. That, Jesus, you would bless each one of us individually, and we all have needs in our life, Lord. You know them. And, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work mightily in our lives, and that you would give us opportunities to pray for people and to witness and to be a light. The fields are white unto harvest, Lord. We know that. Just give us more opportunities. We love you, God. Thank you for dying on the cross. You are a wonderful, faithful creator. Amen.